Hello and welcome to the Decentralized Web, a brand new podcast to reimagine a connected and sustainable future of ethical data sharing. Join us as we explain the latest in decentralized technology. I'm James Somaru, the founder of Somex, a health tech contributor for Forbes and the host of the Health Tech Podcast. And I am here for the beginning of season one and to introduce you to your hosts for the podcast going forwards. And they are Jonathan and Justin Bingham. They're the founders of Janeiro Digital, a company that harnesses the power of the decentralized web and frankly, just makes it work. So for huge companies and organizations, they architect and execute technologies that digitally transform them. In this first season of the decentralized web, we are going to be looking at the problem of centralization, what a decentralized future looks like, how we will get there through pods, which are personal online data stores, and what the value of decentralization truly is to individuals. So today, I'm going to introduce you to your first host, and that is Jonathan Bingham. Thanks, James. Great to be here. Excited to uh, talk a little bit about what we're doing here at Genero Digital and specifically around the decentralized web. It's going to be fun, man. It's going to be fun. So why don't you give our new audience a bit of a flavor? Who are you and why are you hosting? Why are you starting this podcast? Yeah, sure. Genero Digital, my brother and I started this company about 11 years ago, uh, really with a goal around helping people solve really difficult problems that they aren't sure are actually solvable uh, using technology. Uh, and it was about three years ago, so seven years into our time at Genero Digital, that we were introduced to uh, Tim Berners-Lee and a specific project he had been working on called Solid, which is really trying to redirect the web back to his original vision. You know, something that we're really passionate about now and excited to share with the world is really what the decentralized web can mean for them and where our focus has been, which has been largely in healthcare uh, over the last couple of years. Awesome. And so for this first episode of this podcast, I think we're, we're going to be setting the scene. So one of the things that we wanted to talk about today, and we'll come on to some of the bits that you're doing, pods and transform and all this sort of stuff that, that's, mm-hmm. going to, that's going to come. But I think let's talk about the problem as it stands and why we're talking even about decentralization. So to talk about decentralization, right. we kind of need to talk about centralization first. So <laughs> yep, is what true. is the problem? What is the current structure of the web? Why is Tim right. Berners-Lee talking about web 2.0? What's 1.0? What are the problems? What's centralization? Yeah. So, I mean, when the web was originally designed and from a vision standpoint, It was always about an ability for this fair exchange of data and for people to be really in charge of their information and have the ability to share when they want, but take back when they want as well. What's happened with the web over the last several years is in order to give people a really deep and rich user experience, which we all crave, you need more and more data. And the way that applications have been architected on the web to date is that All of the data is centralized around the company or the application. The big shift to a decentralized web is to centralize the data around an individual and have an application ask permission to be able to access it. 
So, you know, it's around taking the structure of the web and leaving the plumbing in place, but just moving the data from sitting over there with a big company to sitting here with me. Perfect. So give me an example of, or, or just talk to me about that data flow through companies as you talk about then. So where does it start? Where does it finish? And, and who's collecting this in this central centralized model, i.e. the problematic situation we're in at the minute? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much universal. Uh, any company or organization that you know is interacting with an individual on the web is almost 100% collecting all of your data in order to have their application function. It's just the way that applications have been designed to date is to say, if you want a feature, I need data to make that feature come alive. And that data is typically gonna live within a database uh, that the application is gonna interact with and the company is in control of that database. And why is that a problem? And I think, well, I, I'm kind of gonna, I'm gonna ask, answer my own question a bit here, obviously. The <laughs> obvious one is privacy, right? So when you talk about that, you kind of feel, those are my actions that are being captured that's being used to make that company create a new feature which adds value to their share. Like, you know, you can right. feel it as a consumer that way. But I suppose for you coming up with the solutions, how, how do you view the problem? What, why is that problematic? What, why perhaps is the centralized model unsustainable? Is it people like me yeah. crying out about privacy issues so that make sense unsustainable? Yeah, so there's a couple of reasons. One, uh, certainly from a privacy standpoint, and if you look across Europe and the UK with GDPR, you know there's a responsibility for organizations to be able to properly handle your data, uh, and that's progress. I think that that's something that you know governments recognized there needed to be, you know, really some regulations around so it wasn't abused. Certainly, some countries countries are further ahead than others. I would say that Europe and you know UK are you know further ahead than the US. Uh, even as it relates to that, you know, and I think that organizations aren't all sinister, right? Like I said, a lot of places are just trying to give you a better user experience. And in order to do that, you need to collect more and more data. What the decentralized web provides is not so much just a correction, but it provides a huge opportunity. You know, when you see the ability to centralize data around an individual, that in itself gives tremendous power back to me as a person all my information, instead of being scattered around in a million different foxholes, it lives in one centralized location for me. So whether that's my health data, uh, whether that's my financial information, you know, you name it, it's all going to be in one virtual place for me. Uh, and that's just going to make my life a little bit simpler, my digital life. The other thing that it does with this course correction is it doesn't necessarily limit organizations' ability to innovate. What it does is actually enhance it. Uh, because within my pod, I'll have access to all types of different information across every vertical of my life. And, you know, if an organization that, you know, traditionally had my data centralized within their four walls has a good business reason to ask for different types of information that they never would have gotten through our one-to-one -one interaction, they can actually create entire new products and services. So, you know, one of the brilliant aspects of Solid is its simplicity. It's not saying we have to rip the web down and rebuild it from the ground up. It's saying we're just gonna change the structure of the interactions. Uh, and that's really where Transform and, and Solid you know, uh, pair so well together. And before we talk about Solid and Transform and how that plays yeah. and, and almost what they are, my question is how did we get here with the web? Was yeah. this inevitable or 
did we miss something when we put the web together the first time? Because as you mentioned, the, it's interesting, actually, you've mentioned course correction a couple of times there, which is what yeah. this feels like it is. It feels like we had all the tools and then, and then we just yeah. ended up in somewhere where we didn't quite want to be. Was it inevitable? Did we miss something? No, I, I don't know that it was missed per se. I think that it's just, you know, if you take a snowball and put it at the top of a hill, <laughs> you give it a push, it's going to keep rolling. You know, and it, it it takes it to get to the bottom of the hill and stop, really, to be able to 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 look at this. And I think what's happened is there's a lot of things that people have tried to accomplish over the last ten or fifteen years. You know, to be able to complete pictures around individuals, and it's just not possible the way that the web really went in its current state, where you have all this data that you've you know built up that's really valuable, but it's literally siloed within these large organizations and outside of your reach. So I think what the web has shown us over the years is that there's a tremendous opportunity that has just been untapped. And that's maybe a better way to look at it than a, than a course correction. I think that you know it, it will certainly shift the application structure if we move towards a solid enabled world or a decentralized world. But mostly there's a humongous opportunity out there that's 100% untapped. Awesome. So. We've talked about the problem. So let's talk about the solution. You've mentioned solid. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned transform. Do you want to talk to me about, I suppose, coming up with a solution to this centralized problem? Where does solid fit in? Where do you guys yeah. fit in? Talk to me about that. Sure. So at its core, what solid is, is a collection of these personal online data stores or pods. Uh, so the best way to envision this is uh, if you take a bubble and put it around you and you think of your entire digital life, whether it's your Fitbit, whether it's your website interactions, uh, your social networks, your online banking, anything that you do online, there's a record of that in your pod. So it's a centralized record around you of your life. And that's what Solid is. Now, as I had said earlier, the way applications have been structured for us on the web to date all of that data, instead of being with us, is with them. <laughs> so the core kind of transition is an application will now have to ask permission to interact with your data. And as you're having that interaction with that application, you're building up a larger data set within your pod. But if you no longer want to use that application, you can take that access in, that you've granted them away and the data stays with you. So then if there's another product or service that comes out that you feel is a better fit for your needs and it's going to give you more value, you can give that application consent and it's not starting from zero. It's going to build off of all the data that you've built up with all these other interactions. So that's what solid is and what pods are. In order to get pods to work with systems and organizations and countries today, there needs to be this translation layer. Eventually, people will write applications that can directly interface with pods. But if you go into you know, a country and you're trying to help them use pods with their healthcare systems, that's a zero, you know, not happening. Like if you say <laughs> you have to rewrite all of your applications to directly write into pods, it's a 20-year you know, event. Yeah. And what Transform does is it interacts directly with all of those traditional systems and architectures and it translates that in a bi-directional way in and out of pods. So it allows us to go into some place as complex as NHS uh, out in the UK 
and within a couple of weeks have their systems talking and writing and reading uh, in and out of pods. You mentioned the NHS, which is obviously an incredible case study to, to get anything working technically in the NHS, mm-hmm. let alone something that uses the power of the, the decentralized web to provide individuals control and ownership over their own data. So kudos for getting anything going along, <laughs> along those lines there. But, you know, as you mentioned, it is happening. It is so important. In, in terms of practically speaking now, for patients, for clinicians, for managers, whoever it is, what do they see? So, I mean, we take, we're taking the NHS, so we're calling it the NHS yeah. as, as the case study here, but this could be any organization that any, wants to in, read in any industry, and or yeah. write, in any industry, yeah. right? So whatever, whatever company or organization it is that wants to read or write or both probably to the pods, mm-hmm. what do they see? In terms of, sure. so so there'll be in the NHS, for example, there'll be clinicians that look stuff up. There'll be a laboratory that does tests that then writes things into the pod. As I say, clinicians will log in and read yeah. things from the pod. What are these people seeing? Does, is there any right. change to their day job or is this done somewhere else? Talk to me about that. Yeah. So, you know, there's really two views, right? You, you talk about, you know, kind of on the, on the clinician side uh, and on the patient side. So let's start with the patient. From a patient side, they're really not gonna see too much differently. They're gonna see some new capabilities. So first off, they'll log in using their NHS login and it'll bring them to a screen, which will be an overview of their entire health record. Um, The other thing that they'll notice is that there's a page that will allow them, a permissioning page, to select which types of data uh, they're willing to give consent to either share with somebody else or you know, to accept a new product or service being offered to them. Uh, and this is outside the traditional data that would exist. So you know, what gets really interesting for patients is when third parties then start writing applications to either interface with Transform or to write directly into pods, that individual now has power to say, yes, I wanna use that or no, I don't. It could be clinical trials, for example. Somebody could write an application that matches a clinical trial with someone that needs a clinical trial and they can say, yes, I will consent to that because I'm really sick and they could try it and they could say, this isn't for me. And they take that consent away. And it's really no, no more than hitting a button. So, you know, it, it doesn't feel super futuristic. It's just, we're going to give you a full view of your health record. We're going to allow you to select certain third-party applications that you think you might get value out of, but we're going to make sure that you're protected in the sense that if you no longer want to interact with that, your data stays with you and you take that consent away. On the practitioner side, there's some real, you know, I think practical value that's derived from pods. And I think that one of the hardest hitting kind of use cases that was presented to us because NHS came to us and they said, would solid work, you know, in this health scenario a couple of years ago. And, you know, we've kind of been heads down building this platform with them since. Uh, but the use case was this girl, Tamara, who was 13 years old and had chronic asthma. Uh, She had gone to the clinic 42 times, I believe, and it was almost always treated as a first case because she would go to different uh, locations, she would see a different doctor every time, and the information was so siloed across the multiple different systems and EMRs that were in place uh, that it was treated again like a first case, and she ended up passing away. 
And when they did a retrospective, you know, looking at this, they said, had our systems been able to better communicate to the clinician that this person was in here before, she probably would be alive today. That's number one. And number two, if you look at the cost of having to come in 42 times to have somebody evaluate you for the same first occurrence, uh, it's incredibly costly. So having a centralized health record for clinicians allows them to do their job. This isn't about being a better doctor. Uh, This is about just actually having access to information. So when you centralize that record around the individual, wherever they go, when they come in, you're going to have a full view of who they are, what their health history is, and you're going to have the best ability to treat them. Uh, And that's just good for everybody. There's nobody that wouldn't want that, Not, not a clinician or a patient. Yeah, 100%. T- totally agree. I mean, you tapped into something that I experienced so much as a clinician, but not to make this too healthcare centric, but yeah. in healthcare, that single source of truth, one unified health record that is owned by the individual that no matter where they go geographically, whoever it is can pull up their health record and act accordingly, adds so much value to, from where we are now to that, I mean, the, the, the amount of value in there is is unreal. When you think about other industries, again, that single source of truth can add so much value. What are other examples of other industries where that is of value? Who else are you talking to yeah. and, and where, where is this being used? Yeah. So, I mean, I think if you look within, even just looking within a country, uh, healthcare is just one aspect of things that are going on. And and I think what gets really interested with solid is when you have these cumulative use cases where, you know, you take other areas of government and layer those on top of each other. So, you know, you can go from here to the civil side of government and you can start pairing things together and that gets really interesting. But even if you go out into the private industry, I use the, you know, pharmaceutical example, but, you know, for clinical trials, but let's look at something like an insurance industry and mobility data. If you think about things like Uber, where you have some people that drive sometimes as an Uber driver, sometimes, you know, they're driving as just a regular citizen. Insurance companies can offer rates based on where they're located and what their actions are real time uh, by having access to people's pods with that type of data. You could look at a use case. We talked to an insurance company and they said, well, if we had access to your cellular mobility data and you were going up a chairlift and we're your insurance company and we know that you don't have personal injury uh, insurance, but we also know that you're going up a chairlift in the Swiss Alps right now. Uh, we could offer you through text message for five bucks, the ability to have personal injury coverage for the day. Uh, or if you're going to get on one of those scooters, which are always, you know, a near death experience for people <laughs> um, and you swipe your card through and it charges you for a scooter and you've given access, you know, to your insurance company for these kind of on-demand insurance products, uh, you could instantly be bound with an insurance policy. So if, you know, some you know, truck hits you in San Francisco, you, <laughs> you know, you have insurance. I think that's a really interesting phrase that you mentioned there. If you've given access to them to do that, which is, which is super, super, super interesting because to bring you back to something that you mentioned before. So what all of this is enabling is a fair data exchange, isn't it? Because Correct. today we're talking about the problem of centralization, right? And I think, one of the problems is that we don't, know, there's a lot of unknowns when it comes to 
what are we exchanging our data for? We all, we all click right. agree. We all tick. I've read the terms and conditions agree next <laughs> because I mean, there's been studies on this, like if through a lifetime, you'd have to have eight lifetimes to even read all that stuff or something right. outrageous. But like, you know, w- w- there's a lot going on that we don't know what that exchange is. It sounds like one of the key value propositions here to this whole argument of this even existing is that you're enabling this fair data exchange. Now, yeah. What does that open up to in terms of new business models and uh, and new companies and and entrepreneur? Like, there's there's lots here, right? Yeah, there's a leap, right? So, and the leap isn't so much for the individual. The leap is for the company that is trying to turn a profit, right? Which is fine. That's why you know I'm all about capitalism. If you can take the leap and say, I understand what the decentralized web means. And I understand that it can be hugely valuable. The amount of opportunities that are then going to present themselves to you are endless, endless. It's like when the web first, you know, was invented. You have to say, I am willing to give up what I believe today is my competitive advantage, which is collect as much data as you can, all the data. I just want the data because if I have the data, I can give the best product and service. And to sit there and say, I'm going to give up all the data and give it back to the person I've been desperately trying to collect it from and give them control over it. That is a leap. So it's not so much a technical shift that has to happen, you know, as it is a mental shift mindset for these organizations. Now, once they do that and they allow this to happen, the amount of data that they could actually have access to is going to be such a broader spectrum than their narrow one-to-one focus uh, that was the only way they were afforded an opportunity to collect data in the first place. So as we talked about earlier, if you know a pod represents a bubble around my life and we're talking about my insurance company, well, my insurance company only had a very small sliver of the data that was in my bubble. And to go outside of that would have been extremely difficult. Uh, They could have maybe done a survey or something like that, but very difficult to get data outside of the general, you know, business case that we have. Now, when we talk about, you know, like an on-demand insurance product, that's entirely new. But the only way that that works is if they have access to something like your cellular mobility data, which means I have to give them consent to have that. The other nice thing is all the data is staying with me. So it's a lot safer for these organizations. There's a risk around, you know, having to collect and maintain and protect all this information uh, that's really unnecessary for large organizations. So this is the, I would say this is the reason I'm most interested in the power of the decentralized web and particularly what you guys have been doing, because I think it's about incentives. And I think we can all agree that ethically and morally, it's best that we all have control and ownership over our own data. But the interesting thing there comes to, as you say, when we talk about capitalism, when we talk about, uh, well, well, let's do that. When we talk about capitalism, it's actually about value. And I think we move from a model where we, the default thinking, as you rightly pointed out, is we just want more data fairly or unfairly however we get that data we we can make more money and that's right. how we can get our advantage that i think is the problem with the centralized model that's right what the decentralized model is allowing for 
is, or in fact, not even allowing for, it basically forces the hand of, of all the companies because all of a sudden it goes from let's get more data however we possibly can to let's provide the fairest, most valuable deal however we possibly can because for once the people who have that asset, the data are the ones in control of that deal and therefore it has to become more fair. So you end up sort of changing the rule book. So you no longer have to rely on the morality of the big tech companies That's you correct. basically incentivize them to be moral if i've understood right. that correctly absolutely i mean if you think about you know so again one of the nice things about a pod is as you're interacting with applications you're building a larger digital self right but yep. that digital self instead of living with them in their database lives with you on your pod so if you know you were interacting with a big social network and you felt that, you know, they were promoting, you know, values that didn't align with you. Like you look at like the presidential election in the United States, uh, you could just leave that social network with your data. There's nothing that's scarier to a company like that than losing data and losing access to data. Now they don't care, right? Because they have full control of our life from a digital standpoint and that, that identity. But if the data actually is with us, it doesn't mean that you're not going to use that application exactly the same way. It just means if you don't want to anymore, they actually lose something, Mm -hmm. right? And you can take that and go somewhere else with very low switching cost. So what it does is help guide, I think, some of the morality of organizations. And it certainly keeps people focused on providing the best product and service to you. Because if not, and someone else provides a better one, and you catch wind of it, you just switch. So, yeah. I, as I say, this is the exact reason that I think that, well, it's, it's, it's the reason that I'm most interested in this because I think when you have such a, such a shift and it's like you said, you likened it to internet 1.0, you know, this thing has happened and we don't quite know how, how big or how, you know, deep or wide these problems or solutions are going to be yeah. what what's going to be built etc cetera, etc cetera. and it's it kind of feels like that for this it's it's almost like yeah. an entire well it is an entirely new paradigm it's an entirely new paradigm of how we use store access and even trade data and i think there will be probably i mean i, I don't know how your view on this new companies that emerge that just decide they're experts in this and just and just look at it and go we're just going to play strictly by this we're we're not a big tech company that has to change and adapt based on the new rules we can start afresh with the new rules and just go rapid right so do you think there'll be this kind of new wave of that type yeah yeah so you know our role in this has always been you know kind of twofold i know we've talked about this before the first thing that we were trying to figure out and accomplish is how do we get this thing kickstarted, right? So there was a couple of schools of thought. One, you can create a bunch of developer tools and developers will start to create uh, applications that would interact with a pod. And, you know, to me, it was kind of the chicken and the egg story. I just feel like that wasn't going to work. It's kind of like accepting uh, that Apple was going to build the app store before they sold an iPhone. Yeah. Right. So it's like, eh, that's probably not going to work. No one's going to see an economic opportunity uh, to go out and put the time to build an application if there's nobody with a pod. Yeah. And, you know, we always pick on my mom. 
Uh, would my mom go download a pod and, you know, start to put her data in it? No, she wouldn't have no <laughs> idea what that is. Uh, so we thought it was really important to go look at large scale organizations and countries that can get immediate value out of creating pods for citizens and for their customers on their behalf. So that that was step one. And that's really why we kind of locked into healthcare, because our goal in this movement isn't just to create a health platform that gives people you know, better, better level of care. That's a great side benefit. But our number one goal is to get solid, to be pervasive in every industry for every citizen across the globe. And if we can go to a country like the UK and get 60 million people to have a pod created on their behalf to have a better care plan, well, now there's an available market of 60 million pods for other people in other industries to be creating opportunities. So, you know, we really look at ourselves and our role in this movement as, you know, helping light a match for entrepreneurs and organizations everywhere uh, to be able to start to put some sticks and logs on a fire and, uh, and join, you know, join forces. So it's not that we're competing against anybody. Uh, we're welcoming everybody to this party. Awesome. So tell me, because obviously you're going to be hosting this podcast going forwards. I'm here for a few yeah. episodes to kind of uh, open up the conversation and get you guys going. Tell me about your brother and what you guys, how did you guys build, or what, what were you doing as Genera Digital? How did you build Transform? How, how do you even go about yeah. this, right? Yeah, so, um, you know, as I mentioned, we, Justin and I have worked together uh, our entire career. Uh, when we started our first company, he was 19. Um, you know, I think I was 24. And, <laughs> um, you know, we were in security, we went into music, and then, you know, we ended up uh, landing here at Genero Digital about 11 years ago with a goal of building products and, you know, businesses for people that they weren't sure were buildable. So, you know, whether that was being at the early days of cloud computing, um, you know, we've gone through several different, uh, you know, types of development languages that people are coding in, <laughs> you name it. We've been at the uh, at the beginning of that, and we always say, you know, people come to us to invent for gaps in technology uh, that just don't exist. So, you know, for us, this has been something that just made sense. It's a very challenging problem to solve, but once you looked at it in theory, it said, okay, this this seems like it kind of holds together pretty well. But now, how do you make this work right now? And that's where you know, creating transform has been so instrumental in this because we realized that to have things be interoperable, there's a gap, you know, again, comes back to that chicken and egg thing. We can have pods, but you can't just take every traditional system in the world at every country and large organization and change it overnight to be able to work directly uh, with a pod. So we created transform to literally sit in between these, these pods and these countries or organizations and almost immediately make them enabled. Yeah, so it's been really cool. I mean, it's uh, it's been really nice to see it actually in production live with, you know, actual people using them. So uh, after a few years of this, it's that, that was a pretty proud moment last month. I was going to say, so as soon as last month as well, you know, as well as recent as last month, yeah. I was going to ask you kind of where you, where you guys are at right now with this and, and where, in fact, where the world is with this, right? You talked about lots of yeah. different countries, this sounds to me like it might have to be a migration over time. It's not going to be an overnight thing. 
But these are conversations that I've been in. I was thinking about this earlier. I've been in these conversations for at least five years. And that's within healthcare and within the NHS even about a unified record and confirming identity with the passport office. And then, you know, all all these different things. Exactly. Exactly. These conversations have been going on a long time. And I know there'll be people listening that that think, you know, no one's cracked it. But clearly this is happening right now. Right. It is it yeah. is happening in healthcare. It's happening in other bits. So tell me where the world is with decentralization and, and actually using pods. Yeah, I mean, they're at the forefront of it right now. So there are some countries and companies that are embracing this and are rolling mm-hmm. it out. And you know, this is it's actually real. This isn't a theory anymore. You know, one of the things that's so incredible, I think, about the decentralized movement, and, and in particular solid, is when you're talking to people about using this and you walk through, it's very rare that everybody sits there and says, this is positive, right? (laughs) There's always a naysayer, whether it's the architect or the business person, or it's too clunky or this or that. There's not enough value for our user. There's, you know, uh, we're giving away too much. In 20 years, I've just never seen a scenario where everybody feels like they're getting a fair shake. So that that's just really good in general. And that's going to help, I think, as things you know get rolled out where there was, I don't want to say a hiccup, but there was a real challenge around interoperability, you know, that took us a couple of years to really be able to, you know, in my opinion, address that. You know, if this was a dream world, green field, and you could just start the internet, you know, with pods and, you know, everybody builds their first application, interact with it, it would have been great. But, you know, we were literally, we talked about the snowball, like this thing is like, it's this big now, this is not a little (laughs) snowball. So, you know, to try to say, you know, we need to roll that thing back up the hill and start over again, is just not possible. So we've spent a ton of time over the last couple of years, especially Justin, uh, working alongside the solid community and authoring things like the interoperability standard that are just so critical to make this thing work right now. Uh, we've also teamed up with a lot of really, really, really big companies uh, in different sectors, both on the technology side uh, and on like the management c- consulting and services side that we can talk about another day. But there are certain things that we had to explain to these industry leaders and ask them to create literally products you know, and, and services in order to make this an actual thing that you can do right now. Uh, so we've taken on this role of really understanding what the entire ecosystem of this needs to be, and not only providing a component of that in things like Transform, but a lot of thought leadership to literally give people the knowledge to create their own products and services, which we want nothing to do with, right? We're just trying to make this work. Um, and that's been really rewarding. I mean, for technologists and entrepreneurs, uh, certainly for my brother and I, you know, that has been really amazing. I think it is important to to address the challenges because, you know, as many people will say, if something seems too good to be true, it often is, right? right. And there was there was no way you were going to take or view or see or partner with uh, something as big as solid and then just be like, oh, cool, we'll just build this thing. And then everyone can inter- interface with it. Everyone can build right. this. Thing. Like it was never going to be that simple, right? You've talked about the interoperability. Has that been the biggest challenge? Has there been any market Absolutely. resistance? Was it technical? Was technical build an issue? Anything like that? It was the interoperability. 100%. Yeah. I mean, from a technical standpoint, we're not doing anything that we felt uncomfortable with. Yeah. Um, you know, our team, you know, a bunch of smart people. Yeah. Um, You've been doing you this know, a while, right? In terms of building time. technically yeah. difficult things. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, like monitoring systems for nuclear power plants, you know, <laughs> right? You know, so it's like right. some important stuff. <laughs> so high stakes um, is is you're not you're not aliens about no. Yeah, so that didn't that didn't make us nervous. It was more yeah. around you know how do you walk into the CIO of a you know multi billion dollar organi- organization and say for you to use these you have to change the way that you do things. Yeah, like all all of your technology ways of doing things that just wasn't going to happen. Right. Yeah. So you have to be a realist when you're looking at, you know, trying to have a paradigm shift happen. Uh, that's of this order of magnitude. You have to make it easy for people. So, you know, we always say like transform. It makes the decentralized web non-confrontational. Yes. Because if I had to walk into a CIO and say the hundreds of millions of dollars that you've spent on your technology roadmap for the last four years, <laughs> boy, what were you thinking? You know, uh, you really should have done it this way. So you should do it this way. And then you should, uh, you know, roll out pods that'd be like, how many seconds till you leave my office? Yeah. Yeah. Literally, (laughs) you know, so instead, you know, and this is where where it makes it non-confrontational. If you say it's okay to have those systems that you have in place that you can interface through transform. And in a few weeks we can have you up and running and completely, you know, working in a decentralized model. Uh, It's like, uh, okay, how do we try that? (laughs) <laughs> I suppose for them, actually thinking out loud, for them, that then just sounds like you can have all these new features and abilities right. without really needing to change anything. That's right. And the other thing, again, that it does immediately is check the box for GDPR. Just that alone is Fair, enough for a CIO true. to say, sure. And yeah. then once they do that uh, and they have that consent model that's built in place uh, with you know all things solid, the ecosystem starts to open up and provide mm. opportunities both for the individual and for the organization on its own. Mm. So, you know, it, for no risk, you know, really to either party because it's, it's consent based, you know, it's kind of like, it gives you this huge benefit from a regulatory standpoint, but then opens up endless business opportunities almost immediately in every industry. Mm. There's carrot and stick with that as well. Isn't there in a way, because on one hand you're saying, there's all this opportunity. If you're an early adopter innovator, you can capture so much extra market. Right. There's so much value for you to take. Oh, absolutely. That's the carrot. There's also the stick, which is if you don't do this, if you're not one of the first, you don't want to be in the second half because right. all of those people, probably your competitors will have taken all this value. There's probably, right. there's probably interesting those meetings, right? Yeah, <laughs> no, it, it's, it's true. I think once the light goes off and people understand, you know, yeah. what it is and what solid can do for them. It, it's definitely almost like a foot race, right? Because yeah. it, it doesn't change the fact that the hardest thing to do is acquire a customer, right? Yes. So once you have the ability to acquire a customer, you have an advantage over your competitors. You yeah. have to maintain that customer. You have to try to give the highest level of service to them and the best product, but you have them, right? Mm. Um, so, you know, for folks that sit back and say, we're going to wait and see what the, you know, decent, centralized web does and how it develops, I think it's risky. I think it's just such an opportunity right now to be able to leverage this, to be able to provide people with really compelling solutions. Uh, and it's not really about the technology, right? It's the the types of solutions that you can now provide to people are so much like more rich uh, mm-hmm. than you can do in a traditional model today. It's like you have such an advantage to sell. So if you're, you know, one of the big four and you're going out there and you don't embrace solid versus do it's like, you know, selling a, you know, Pinto versus a Ferrari for the same price. It reminds me of 
Uh, so my dad, my dad used to run nursing homes, right? So he used to have yeah. uh, a lot of a lot of care homes, and he saw. He, he, I think he retired sort of just before. Well, bearing in mind, my dad's almost eighty now. He retired just before you really needed a computer to be doing all this stuff. <laughs> yes, right. we had one at home and and stuff, but obviously now I mean, most things will be done on Zero now. Whereas he was all on paper, he was all in books. Right. But I can I can imagine it was a it was a similar thing for him. Like you know, if something like this came along, he, I mean, he was of the age. It was like I might as well go because there's going to be people that just do this and are just going <laughs> to fly with it, right? And there's probably there's probably yeah. a similar thing here because it is just going to be like night and day from the sounds of things. Right. It's going to be a similar thing of like if you're not on board, you might as well just get out of the way because right. there is going to be all this new capability. There are going to be these new business models, these new markets, these new, frankly, entrepreneurs that are going to come in and really take the ball by the horns here. I know that next week with Justin, we're going to be talking about the future and the potential. But I suppose to finish us off today, how would you summarize the potential of, of the decentralized web as a whole yeah. for our future? Wow. So I think that as far as the progression of the decentralized web, I think what you'll see is, you know, certain areas of your life, like healthcare, for example, you know, just so immediately having this positive impact. And then you'll start to see this ecosystem evolve around that, that will just continue to enhance it. Naturally, once that happens, I think that the, you know, the big four in particular, the ones that have the most vision are going to start going out to their global customer base and they're going to start explaining how they can either a tap into the value of the pods that are already created and b uh, in the private sector offer really compelling solutions uh, that both protect them from a regulatory basis around data protection and privacy and control but also offer up these entirely new products and services and i think you'll start to see a lot more collaboration across industries and partnerships that are developed that you never would have expected in the past. So to me, the decentralized web is really going to create a much more complementary uh, model of interaction across industry. Uh, and you're going to see the best companies, the smartest ones that take the most advantage of this, really start reaching across the aisle and starting these partnerships uh, that allow them to create entirely new products and services. Awesome. And the exciting bit for me being in healthcare is, is are the things you're doing there. I think the the idea of a centralized health record, and I know that's, you know, reductive in the the ocean of everything that can happen here, but achieving that, the um, just the sheer amount of value that will create add on top yeah. of that the ability of individuals to own their own data and actually do fair exchanges of it that you could do a deal with a pharma company to give them your data for something that you believe is a fair thing back all of those things just excite me beyond belief for all the different yeah. business models that will, that will happen but mainly around what we said before right that you're changing the or you're incentivizing companies for value. You're not incentivizing them for more data. You're literally incentivizing them to do the right thing, which I think is the the, the most going to be the most incredible shift into, into a more conscientious capitalism model that I think yeah. will really, really change things. Cool. I'm excited for, for this podcast, man. So mm -hmm. I know that you're going to be taking over in a few episodes time. I'm going to be sticking with you for a few in the initial bit of season one. 
you guys are going to be talking to some of the the biggest, brightest minds in the decentralized space, doing yeah, all sorts we're of exciting to bring stuff. Them out. Yeah. It's going to be it's going to be cool. It's going to be fun. And as I say, uh, I'm going to be talking to Justin next week. That is going to be on the future of decentralization. So talking more about this potential and the things that you guys are achieving with Transform, but also a bit more generally about the big four and and other yeah. types of organizations and things. But until then, Jonathan, any any final thoughts on uh, on the problem with centralization, which was uh, the topic for today? You know, I think if uh, you're on the web today, you know the problem with centralization. It's just, what am I supposed to do about it? And what I would say is, uh, you know, be patient because help is on the way and it's going to be a fun ride. I love it. Speak soon. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Decentralized Web. To keep up to date with the latest in decentralized technology and to follow Janeiro Digital and their mission, head to the show notes for all the links to follow on social media or visit janeirodigital.com. See you next time.